people approached our senior pastor and myself, I was associate pastor at the time, and said, we have stuff going on in our house that we cannot explain. Um, we have uh, we hear sounds. We hear we hear creaking. We see lights moving around. In other words, we think our our house is haunted. Hello, the internet. You're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, best-selling humorist, and guy who went trick-or-treating not once but twice as Hillary Clinton when I was a kid. I believe it was sixth and seventh grade. Um, I wore a Hillary mask and I, I wore a Bill Clinton puppet on one hand. That's what we thought of as cutting-edge humor in the 90s. Um, the 90s were a dark time, if you can't tell. Um, hopefully I've gotten funnier since then, not least of all, because I've got multiple people paying me to be funny, um, which you can buy my book. Um, I'll do a plug at the end of the show, but since we're on that topic now, uh, murder bears, moonshine and mayhem, strange stories from the Bible to leave you amused, be amused and hopefully informed. Um, go to murderbearsbook.com. I'll talk about it more at the end of the show because that's what I do. I sell, sell, sell baby. Um, but since we're talking about both Halloween and the Bible at the moment, that's a perfect segue to this week's conversation. Um, this is part two of our Spooktober series for 2020. Um, last week, we talked to skeptic Doug Lattery. Um, this week, I got a treat for you guys. Um, an old friend of mine, Pastor Chris Teves, uh, who has been on the show once before, he was a skeptic, a non-believer, um, identified as agnostic uh, for about 40 years, the first 40 years of his life. Um, but now he is a Christian pastor and an occasional exorcist. Um, so I thought it would be fun, quote unquote, he'll, he's not going to like me using the word fun. I thought it would be interesting, let's say, to have him on the show to talk about why he converted to Christianity, but more importantly, why he now believes in demons and not only believes in them, but casts them out of people. Um, so I thought that would be a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm going to go ahead and flip you over to my conversation with Chris Teves, and I will see you on the other side. Chris, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, you bet. Chris is former pastor of mine, current pastor in, is it, I always forget, is it Edmond, Oklahoma? No, it's, it's Okmulgee. 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 I don't know. I always, I always think it's one of the E, e ones, like Edmund or Ufala, but no, it's, it's oh, Okmulgee. It Okmulgee. Okmulgee. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to the show. You are, we were just saying, my first uh, returning guest on this show since I started it a little over a year ago. I originally had this idea in my head of I'm going to talk to someone different for every episode, but then um, you kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse, mm. uh, which was <laughs> you were formerly a, uh, a skeptic of all things spiritual, as, as we'll talk about, but now believe in demons and have actually uh, 
participated in some exorcisms, correct? That's correct. Unfortunately, I must say. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's um, that was a little bit too good of a premise to turn down. Mm. Um, and this being the spookiest month of the year, we're recording this in September, but this will go up in October. I, I thought uh, that sounds like a perfect episode for the show. So before we get started, do you want to tell guests real quick who you are and what you do? Yes, I am a Lutheran pastor. I've been a Lutheran pastor for 11 years now. I've been in the ministry for about 20 years. Let me just mess with you a little bit, Luke. You said the spookiest month of the year. I would say it's the most Lutheran month of the year (laughs) because of Reformation Day, which uh, is on October 31st. So when I think of October 31st, I don't think of the ghosts and goblins. I think of good old Martin Luther nailing those 95 theses to the church door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Well, and of course, you were uh, born and raised in Germany, um, or you kind of split your time as a kid between Germany and the U.S., is that yeah. correct? Or is, no, yeah, I recently calculated it. It's almost 50-50. And I, I tend to think of Halloween, as I know it at least, as primarily an American phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Is, is it kind of a thing in Germany, or is it? That's a good question. When I was, when I was a kid growing up, it was definitely not known. In fact, uh, I grew up in Munich, and at least at the time, there was a huge American U.S. military population there, several 10,000. And uh, so to get my my Halloween fixes as a kid, my my mother used to drive me over to the the U.S. uh, military um, neighborhood, and I used to trick-or-treat there. But it was only known within American circles. But I would say probably from maybe the 1990s on, it has caught on, and now it is it is definitely known. To be honest, I don't think that German kids trick or treat, but they definitely know what it is, and um, they I think the adults will have you know costume party type thing, but it isn't as big as here. That's that's true. Well, an American exportation of culture has been uh, <laughs> definitely huge in the in the 20, 20, 20th century, especially um, to the point that people in Japan celebrate Christmas with a traditional meal of KFC. Um, <laughs> so I know the Japanese play baseball. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the, what is it? The Tokyo giants and, and whatever it's, it is amazing, but we have exported around the world, not all of it, uh, really to our benefit or to the world's benefit, but we have exported a lot. That is true. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm super glad to, to have you back on the show, Chris. Um, why don't we, um, start with your life story? Some of this, I, I imagine will be you know, repeated from the the last episode you were on back in February, but that's okay, since I'm sure a lot of current listeners weren't listening then. So um, you were raised in uh, a secular household, considered yourself an agnostic. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I was I was born in Munich to um, nominal Christian parents. And when I was three, my mother and I moved to California. And I lived in California until the age of 10. And uh, there too, in a in a nominal Christian environment, when I was ten, uh, we moved back to Germany, back to Munich, and uh, rejoined with my father. Uh, everyone still nominally Christian, and I uh, had nothing to do with the church until around. Um, well, I I was baptized as an infant. I, that, I, I will say that, um, but I think more because it was a, just a traditional thing to do. And but at the age of seventeen, um, my my father had already passed away at that point. My uncle uh, got hold of me and he said, "Listen, you're seventeen years old. Why aren't you confirmed?" 
Now you were you were baptized into the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Germany, and uh, which is is uh, v- basically very post-Christian. But nonetheless, you were con- you were con- you were baptized, and you need to be confirmed. So at 17, I was already at least three years or four years late. So they dragged me into confirmation class, and I I did my thing, and uh, and but had nothing to do with the church whatsoever um, until until about the age of 40. Uh, at that point, I had um, already uh, been married twice, actually, and um, my my wife Lula and I moved to to Texas uh, when I was actually 39, and uh, we kind of stumbled into a Lutheran church in the town where we lived, and I heard the gospel for the very first time at that point, at the at the tender age of, of 40, and. Uh, I heard how the, the, the pastor was preaching, saying that uh, Jesus died on the cross and uh, forgave you for, um, for your, your divorce. And he died on the cross and forgives you for the fact that you walked away from your children. And he died on the cross and he forgave, forgives you for the fact that you, you messed up so many people by your actions. And so each one of these was just one uh, zinger after another. And uh, mind you, this was a Lutheran church. But it was in in Texas, so it had a, a distinct Baptist flavor to it. So, <laughs> so I like to call it Lutheran Baptist. Lutheran. <laughs> so in this in this Lutheran context, the pastor said, "If you would like to come down after the service and pray with the pastor and thank Jesus for what He has done for you, uh, we invite you to come down." So um, I wanted to do this, and uh, Lula looked at me wide eyed. Um, at, at the time, she was kind of a nominal Catholic. And she said, uh, that, that's crazy stuff. I'm not going down there. I said, well, I, I need to go down. Please come with me. So we went down there and uh, the pastor prayed over me. And um, uh, I, I cried like a baby for 20 minutes. And after that, I thought, what was that all about? And uh, I was totally, totally just just floored. And so a week later, we went back to church, and uh, we went back the week after that, a week after that, and then they were looking for uh, volunteers to to teach children's church, and and Lula had actually done that before, and I figured, well, I can I can read stories from the Bible, I can read a children's Bible, so yeah, okay, I'm I'm good with doing that, and so make a long story short, uh, there were about seven or eight years of church ministry. Uh, starting with that, then after a few years, they asked me to serve as an elder, and then they asked me to serve as their um, director of small groups, and this was actually a large church, so we had over a thousand people in small groups. And uh, so after eight years of or seven years of, of all of this, uh, one evening, I actually called that very same pastor, the one from whom I had heard the gospel, and I said, listen, when, as I review my life, having grown up in a secular environment and, and, and having uh, learned German and, and Greek and, and Latin and all of these things, and, um, and also a, a degree as, as a geologist, I think if I roll all these things into one, I think a pastor might make a lot of sense. Um, do, do, you, do, do you concur? And he said, he says, he said that was the, the best thing he's heard in a long time. And he said, go to the seminary. We as a church will support you. There I was in the summer of 2009, 11 years ago, um, being a, a brand new uh, pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, it's been a, 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 a fan. I can't think of a, a better vocation for, for, for anyone and particularly for myself. Because it is a um, just that transition from being in 
an agnostic to uh, uh, I, I, people say that I'm a very strong believer in, in Jesus Christ and I would I would concur. So just this, if you will, this transition from being a um, an agnostic to a Christian uh, really makes the uh, the writings of, of Saint Paul stand out to me. Um, I like to to say as I as I compare my life to Paul, I like to say that I'm the Dollar General version of Saint Paul. <laughs> uh, I didn't persecute any people or throw them in prison, but I definitely had my my non-Christian um, decades. And um, so my my point is, I'm, I have a, a tremendous compassion, and can I think I can understand people who were still far away from Jesus. And um, uh, the the Lord on occasion has used me to to help people um, move into His kingdom with, with my background. It's just a wonderful privilege, and I, and I love doing that so much. All right, so let's talk a little bit um, before we get super into the 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 uh, exorcism thing. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about your. Um, agnostic background i guess um you use the word ag- agnostic would would you say you were like just I, I i don't know i don't know what word i want to use here like like just skeptical of any paranormal or spiritual claim or, or just it was just something you didn't think about much or where, where were you on the spectrum there yeah um, i wasn't skeptical in the sense that i disrespected it i was more in the in the area that i didn't care Agnostic, the word agnostic comes from agnosco, which means I do not know. I had been confirmed, even though I don't think I paid attention one little bit. And I, I did have religion class in school, because that's in, in German state school, that's, that's, what, that's what you do. I didn't disbelieve, I just didn't care. It was, the, the spiritual world simply was, was not uh, just on, on my map. It just wasn't. It didn't care one, one bit. Didn't deny it, but I just didn't. Just I don't really care about that stuff. Yeah, when you first when you first come around to Christianity, then are you um, you feel like you you're, you're kind of hook line and sinker with <laughs> all the paranormal claims or whatever, or all the spiritual claims or, or however you want to put it? Because I, I feel like there's certainly, I you know I, I don't I don't even want to say like in mainline in particular, but in, in basically all forms of Christianity, there's certainly a strain of people who are like, yeah, I believe the Jesus stuff. I believe God's real. I'm not like you know whatever to angels and demons like yeah, I mean I mean I mean you know I, I, the point being <laughs> the question I'm trying to ask is is uh you know when you when you came around to the Christianity thing was were, were you open to the idea of of demons or is that well you know from- interesting I, I had I had been reflecting on this this morning I was not confronted with with the whole the the, the negative part of spiritual world until. I had been a Christian already a dozen years. So it was, it was, if, if the spiritual world wasn't on my radar for 40 years, once I became a Christian, the, 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 the negative or the, the demonic side, that wasn't on my radar screen for a, a dozen years because um, I, I simply had not come into contact with it. One of the statistics I just love, uh, you might've heard this before, Luke, the average Christian Sorry, the average Lutheran today, the average Lutheran is 19 years old and female and black. That is your, your average Lutheran today, statistically. So uh, you, you live up in Wisconsin, so all those good Lutherans with their orange jello and lutefisk, God bless them. <laughs> but that is, that is not the statistic, and that is not the average anymore. Sure, yeah. So, and so what I'm driving at is that if you grow up in a culture where you are, if, if you will, that has kind of sidestepped 
um, the age of enlightenment, or in some ways didn't really experience the age of enlightenment, the, the supernatural world is much more a part of your everyday life than for 21st century um, North Americans. So they they grow they grow up um, with the, a pagan culture around them. They grow up with with ancestor worship and all of these things, where they, they know that there is very much a a spiritual world around them. And in this particular case, our nineteen year old um, friend, of course, she she believes in Jesus, but she also believes in that there is such a thing as demons and that there is a, a, a I don't want to say I don't want to say a, a yin yang thing because it is certainly not the the Christ is infinitely infinitely more powerful than Satan but there is a, a polarity in the sense that there is there is a, a light and there is a darkness even though the light is much stronger than the darkness but there still is a darkness and as as rationalist Christians um, children we're all children of the Enlightenment here in the West um, we are raised to Basically, to to believe only in what you can touch and and measure and feel, and so the the supernatural thing uh, is 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 downplayed, if not um, outright denied. Um, and we'll probably get into the enlightenment stuff um, towards the end of the show, I hope, because um, there's a lot that could be talked about there. But um, before we get into that, why don't we talk about uh, what first brought you around on the um, the paranormal thing? What, what why don't we talk about you know, whatever your first encounter with uh, demons or uh, spiritual beings was. Well, I would say, I would say that was, that was a process. It was, it was so, so Jesus, Jesus tells us that he is preparing a, a mansion for us. And there are many rooms in that mansion. So for me, becoming a Christian was like being given a new house to live in. So you're, you're moving in and, and so on. And then after a long time, uh, you you tell your wife, you say, you know what? There, there's an there's an attic. I, we, we bought this. I never realized there was an attic. That, that's amazing. In in retrospect, this is so. This is as plain as the nose on your face. Let me tell you why. If if you look at if you look at the miracles that Jesus does, the second most common miracle in all four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the second most common miracle is casting out demons. So we always think of the healing of the blind and and, and the lame and and and, and the deaf and, and and the calming of the seas and that's all excellent stuff. But the second most common thing is casting out demons. And in the Gospel of Mark, casting out demons is Jesus' number one miracle. Now casting out demons is it's a it's a Bible phrase. Uh, the, what we would call that today, of course, is exorcism. And so if you consider that there is a plethora of, of uh, demonic activity in the New Testament, which you don't really have in the Old Testament, so you have to, you have to consider why is that? Why are there, why is there, there are, there's hardly any mention of, of, of demons in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, and even in the in the other books, the epistles, and so a lot. Why is that? Well, because where there is a lot of light, there is also darkness. And so God in the flesh um, had had appeared on the scene. And remember that from almost from day one, namely Genesis three fifteen, 
where um, that is a fall from grace. That is when uh, when God tells Satan that um, you, Satan, um, the Messiah will come and and crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the almost from the very beginning, um, Satan had tried to to stop the kingdom of God from spreading, and now the kingdom of God in the New Testament is is here, it, literally in flesh and blood. And so that, if you will, that that draws out. Um, all the demons to do what they can to to stop Jesus from fulfilling his mission, namely taking the sins of the world uh, upon himself on the cross of Calvary. And so, if you look at it from this point of view, why in the world should demonic activity not also be in place in the period after uh, the books of the New Testament? In other words, there is no reason whatsoever why demonic activity should not also be uh, present in our world. And if you look, if you if you have that um, filter, or maybe not filter, that lens through which you can look, a lot of a lot of Bible verses suddenly really um, jump out in in three D. Let me let me quote to you Ephesians six verse twelve. Ephesians six is the famous chapter with the the armor of God. So here is Saint Paul. He says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he goes on and on with the, the armor of God, telling how you can you can arm yourself against these um, these forces. And we have this all over. We have in other parts of, of Ephesians, and uh, there, are, there are over... Um, even in the Book of Concord, there are over 200 references to Satan or to demons. So the interesting thing is, you know, sometimes when you think of, of demons and, and so on, people might just have a knee-jerk reaction and think, well, it's just a Catholic thing, or that's just a Pentecostal thing. Well, it's, it's very, very Christian. It's very Christian. And many of us have, have um, closed our, our minds to it or, or just choose to ignore it. Demonic activity has been has been rampant ever since Jesus walked this earth and rose again and ascended, and it still is. Yeah, and for listeners who uh, who don't know, the Book of Concord is the uh, Lutheran uh, standard of faith. So um, that's what we're talking about there. Um, yeah, what you you would say then that you you came around intellectually to the idea of demons before um, uh, encountering them in your actual life. What you want to say? How did it become real? Yeah, I mean that that that's that's a pretty pretty good way of uh, yeah. of putting it. Yeah, how how did it become real? Um, it became real, Luke, when for whatever reason, people approached our senior pastor and myself. I was associate pastor at the time, and said, "We have stuff going on in our house that we cannot explain." Um, we have uh, we hear sounds. We hear we hear creaking. We see lights moving around. In other words, we think our our house is haunted. And there's your there's your plug for Halloween. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this this became relatively common. And I actually kept a, a journal of this, an, an electronic journal. And um, over over the years. Uh, so I've been dealing with this for for roughly uh, maybe eleven or twelve years now. Um, I, I have I'm personally I have come in contact with these situations, or they have been brought to my attention where people have asked uh, for for me to assist. 
um, I have over 90 cases with which I have been directly or indirectly involved. Um, about nine, if you do the research, and, and there are obviously many books on this and so on, but my own numbers can confirm that 98% of this demonic activity is, in fact, fortunately, is in buildings. In other words, you will have, uh, in these cases, orbs floating, um, pictures flying off the wall, books flying off the bookshelves, crosses, Bibles, crucifixes in the home being knocked um, knocked off the wall. And uh, so that's about 98%. And uh, about 2% of cases are demonic activity within people. And that is, that's what we would call um, demonic possession, whereas the, the, the buildings, so that is oppression. And so I have encountered both kinds, and as the statistics would bear out, the vast majority um, being the, the the building kind. And um, but I've also encountered of actually more than two percent. I don't know, maybe maybe five or six percent of um, activity within people. This is one of those things to me that maybe this is a rabbit trail, but I want to I want to say it because this is this bothers me <laughs> that it always seems like. Well, why is why is it haunted buildings per se? Why why not why aren't why don't you hear about like haunted cornfields or like <laughs> I guess I guess sometimes there's there's haunted haunted uh, forests in places. But why, why why do you think it is that um, uh, demons or, or let's say oppressive spirits in general try to focus around buildings in particular? I, I think there's a logical explanation to that. Okay, people, it's actually pretty simple because people live in buildings more often than they live in cornfields. <laughs> So demons don't like people, but they're okay with corn, is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty corny, Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I bring this up mainly, I think, because the skeptic in me, um, not that I don't believe in demons per se, but the, like my inner skeptic hears these and says like, okay, so may, maybe ghosts or demons or whatever bother buildings because buildings are the sorts of places where you're going to have old creaky pipes and like broken um furnaces that make weird spooky noises um i I don't know do you have anything to say to that or yeah well um, i would i would suggest the reason you'll you'll find it more often in buildings although you you will find it out in 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 the geography it's there too but i think it's more common in buildings because look at it from this point of view what do satan and his fallen angels whom we call demons what do they want to do they want to stop or they want to stop or to at least slow down the kingdom of God in Christ, and they want to damage God's people. Uh, they want to destroy the faith of these people, and they also, if they can, they also want to harm them physically. And so, where 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 do you find people most often? You find them in in buildings, and, and even if those people die or or move, or whatever. That's that's I can't really really answer it properly, but maybe that is just. That is the last place of occupation of these demons, and they're still hang around even when the people leave. I don't know, but the the, the main their main interest is not corn. Their main interest <laughs> is, is people. Yeah, and so no, I'm it, sure that it, makes sense. It, it stands to reason that they would be where people are. There's um in the uh, in the Exorcist, not in the original cut of the movie, but it's in the novel, and it's in the like the d- director's cut or the, or whatever that came out of the the. 90s i believe um which of course the the novel was written by william peter blatty who's a pretty devout catholic um there's an interesting scene in that um where i I think one priest says to the other you know like what what is the purpose of of this like why does this demon 
spend so much time just bothering this little girl. Um, and I, I think the other priest says to him, I, I think it's because I, I think the ultimate goal is to make us disgusted by the human form to the point that we doubt God could love it or save it um, or something like that. I'm not quoting. I don't know. I, I'm curious if you do you agree with that? Well, or? <laughs> for one thing, I've, I've never seen The Exorcist. Oh, OK, and I actually I stay away from all of that stuff. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> the, the, last, the last such movie I saw was before I became a Christian. And that was. I don't remember the sequence. I remember I saw The Omen, and I remember I saw Poltergeist. And um, they both scared me. But then later I became a Christian, and I didn't, I, I didn't want to just engage in that. And um, because you, you can, when one can become perversely attracted to these things, and it is, it is not helpful. You know, again, St. Paul says, um, you know, reflect on whatever is good and beautiful and true and so on, and these things are not. Um, but I, I would I would not disagree with what that priest said, what you just paraphrased. Um, it, I would say it kind of ties in with what I said earlier, that ultimately they want to destroy the faith of people and they want to harm them. And um, the, an, another component is, is also true. You recall in, in Mark and Luke, we have the, the famous um, story with the, the pigs being cast out into, um, I'm sorry, the demons being cast out into pigs. So they do need a host, a host in the sense of victim. And so um, they, they want a place to live. And again, they want people. They don't want stocks of corn. And so um, they, their, their objective is to, is to destroy God's people and to cause as much damage in the kingdom of God as, as, as possible. And so, um, and they are, they are, Ugly. They're 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 nasty. Um, to think of the and this is this is a whole different um, topic, but we we can walk down that if you will. I, I mentioned earlier how so looking at it from this point of view opened up areas of scripture addicts that I hadn't really paid attention to. If you look at the your your Old Testament idols, and when we teach our children in Sunday school, these are just um, stone idols, and they're just just objects that they worship and stone and, and rock and so on and wood. Um, however, a, a case can be made that some of these wooden or stone idols are actually demons or they are inhabited by demons. And uh, if, if you have ever read, and you're a very um, erudite person, you probably have read Augustine's City of God, um, there is a major um, sub-theme in that book. And that sub-theme is that the idols of the ancients, in this case of the Romans, they are actually demons. And so uh, this is, this is, this is an, an old concept. And, and Paul himself talks about uh, the idols being demons. So if you look at it from that point of view, um, there, there might not have been overt demonic activity in the in the Old Testament where where people had to be exorcised but um, there there was this activity um, with within idol worship and if you look at it from that point of view then it it becomes I think it becomes much clearer why why Yahweh uh, equals Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is so angry about Old Testament idol worship of the of the of the Jews 
because they were actually worshiping demons slash Satan. And it, it's, it's, in other words, it is, it is much more than just, well, he's just worshiping a rock. No, it's not. They were, they were worshiping demons. And that is a direct um, uh, op- opponent of, of Christ. Yeah, I think there is, um, and I, I'm not an expert on this, so I'm, I'm sure if someone knows better than I do, they'll correct me. But I, I, I believe there is at least some consensus among ancient historians that a, a lot of uh, idol worshiping cultures, at the very least, genuinely believed the spirits of their gods to be inhabiting these statues. Um, I don't know if you've if you've read um, Julian Jaynes the breakdown of no that the origin of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind <laughs> um this was um Ju- julian julian Jaynes was primarily a psychologist i believe um but this is a, a big interdisciplinary work um and he approaches it from you know kind of a rationalist skeptical perspective his idea <laughs> his understanding of the ancient human mind is is one of hallucination basically that people were you know, what we would call uh, uh, schizophrenic in, you know, bef- pr- prior to the emergence of modern consciousness, people would hear these voices of their gods. Um, and particularly when they knelt in front of these idols, which is, it's a very out there idea, but also dovetails very well with, <laughs> you know, um, a, a spiritual interpretation of, of this sort of thing. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me just look, I just uh, found this a Bible verse that backed up what I just said. This is First Corinthians ten verse twenty. Our good friend Saint Paul says, "No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons." So idol worship is was actually demon worship, and the the scary but also fascinating thing about this is, just like angels do not die. Demons also do not die. And so these demons, these Old Testament demons that the, that the pagans worshipped and the apostate Israelites worshipped, um, those demons are still around. And so uh, you will, if you talk to Roman Catholic exorcists, they will, who have uh, much more experience in, in uh, this act, this dealing with these things than I do, they will tell you that they have at times they have encountered Baal and Moloch and uh, some of the other very well-known uh, idols from the Old Testament, and they're still around. And this is why this is this is actually amazing. That is why if if you have someone who is possessed with a demon, they exhibit various characteristics. Uh, some of them are like you, you referred to the exorcist, uh, superhuman strength, the ability to, to tell the future. We have that a number of times in the book of Acts. Remember the slave girl who was, who was uh, able to tell the future? And, um, but one of the characteristics that you may encounter is that they are these people, these victims, are able to speak um, foreign languages, including Old Testament languages, including Babylonian and Hebrew. Now, how in the world could they have learned that? Especially, especially the Babylonian part. I, I started enough with Hebrew, <laughs> but but Babylonian. So so they are they are being and these people, these poor people, are being uh, inhabited by um, by demons. S- some of which are the the same ones that we know from the Old Testament. 
I'm, I'm, I bet a lot of the people listening to this show are listening for this. Um, I know I would be if I were. So why don't we get into it? Can you tell me a good story about an exorcism? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I can, I can tell you several. We, we don't have to romanticize it, but I am very curious. Well, when you do an exorcism, um, we, we actually, in, in, in the Oklahoma district of the LCMS, we actually, we, we have, a, we have a, an exorcism rite that is, a, um, is very similar to the Roman Catholic rite, except it is, it is um, corrected, if I may say so. All, all the saints are removed, and, and it, it is Christ alone. And all the, the extraneous things that don't belong and distract from Christ, they are all removed. But the an exorcism rite, uh, and you will you will appreciate this, Luke, um, will usually include the creeds. It will include the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and then obviously a ton of scripture. The Lord's Prayer. Uh, the pastor will will read from what I just uh, uh, quoted from Exodus six, the the, the um, whole armor of God. Um, the pastor will will read various um, casting out of demons accounts from the gospels so the story of legion and and all of that so and that is that is done um and that is read and the the demon or demons sometimes there are, are many like in legion which means thousands so in that thousands in that particular case the man was infested by thousands of demons so they will they will be forced out because there is nothing that they fear more than than the word uh, that is Jesus Christ. So the, the, the worst thing you can do uh, to try and remove a demon would be to put on your, your, uh, your shop vac on your back and play uh, Ghostbusters. Because they, they, they do not, it's, it's foolish. They do not respect that. It's, it's com- a complete waste of time. Or, or even, even worse, maybe, that you would use pagan rituals to try and drive them out, that you would use incense or, or uh, crystals or, or any of that. And this is, uh, lest I, I forget to say it, this is um, super important that, as I said earlier, the one thing the demons fear most is, is Jesus Christ and also his presence in, in physical form, namely in Holy Communion, in the true body, in the true blood. So the, the best protection you can, you can provide for yourself is to read your scripture daily and to receive the sacrament weekly. This just happened just last year. This was an individual who assumed that she was possessed by a demon. After talking with her, and I was there with, with two other pastors, so there were three of us, um, performed this exorcism. And I've, I've read stri- straight from the right and with, with all the, um, the, the, the gospel verses. Uh, by the way, also some, some Old Testament things are also included. Psalm 27 is also used. Uh, Psalm 27 is, is very much a battle uh, against um, Satan. So in, in the Old Testament, we have it too. And as I was, as I was um, preparing the, the, the exorcism, we did this in the, the chancel area of, of the local church. Um, the, the woman was sitting on a chair, sort of like a, uh, sort of like a hot seat. And we were standing around her and, um, I was reading, we took turns reading actually. And the, the, the more scripture was read, uh, the more uneasy she got. And then when I, I started reading, um, Ephesians six and then the, the count of, of Legion and so on, this woman 
screamed at the top of her lungs. She she fell down to the to the floor. She she crawled around like an like an animal, and she vomited for twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. Yes, that and is she, a lot of yes. vomit. And it was well, a lot of it was then dry heaves, of course. Yeah, yeah. But the the point is, the word flushed the demon or demons out of her, and she was writhing and in contortions. And uh, it was the the image I had is is if w- what would it look like if you were trying to vomit out a, a 30 foot snake it would take you a long time and um and the same thing after it was over she she came out of her 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 trance and and was crying and said um it's gone and i'm and i feel clean and uh the the one one comment I mean the, the one of one of the elders uh, a big guy like two hundred and eighty pounds big guy he was as white as a sheet afterwards he said I have never seen anything like that before and the other the other um, the other pastor said the next time I do one of these I'm going to put a tarp down <laughs> so we had a lot of cleanup to do yeah no kidding no kidding yeah I mean. Cleaning a vomit, man. All right, so let me let me ask you this: What would you say to the rationalist skeptic, someone someone who would say, "Well, clearly these people have problems, but it's it's probably just schizophrenia." If the exorcisms worked, it's it, well. If, first of all, if it manifested itself in the form of of demon possession, it's probably just cultural suggestion. They believe they're demon possessed because they've encountered these cultural ideas of demon possession. And furthermore, if the exorcism worked, it was probably just the power of suggestion. The psychological suggestion told them that they were having the demon cast out of them, etc. cetera. Uh, what, what would you say to that, that sort of rationalistic understanding of it? Well, I would, I would give them credence in the sense that it is in fact difficult to distinguish between a mental illness and a demonic activity. And the two things do overlap. This is true, and that 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 is not easy. That is why, ideally, if you if you want to treat someone like this, um, ideally you would want to do this in tandem with a Christian um, psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, I say I say Christian because if not, you'd be fighting the, that guy tooth and nail or that woman tooth and nail from from square one. Um, so, so there, there is, there is a place for that. However, these things, um, regardless of what this, this skeptic might think, these things are real. And at the end of the day, it is a kind of reverse version of faith. You, you can't, you can't force someone into faith. Uh, it is essentially a, a, a submission, um, to recognize and to admit that there are certain things, actually a lot of things that we do not know. And that we um, we cannot answer with with human rational means. For, you know, if I were to ask you, prove to me courage, or prove to me love, or prove to me um, affection, you could say, well, that that person is just acting loving because they want something, or or whatever. Maybe it's just a, a con artist or so. Well, it, that may be, but there are there's so much going on um, that that the human mind cannot cannot explain. And so I would, um, rather than start with the negative, I would start with the positive and say, 
it all of this revolves around Jesus Christ. Even from a demonic point of view, everything revolves around Jesus Christ because they just they just fear him and hate him. And so I would start with with the the center of scripture, namely that it is a, a proven fact that um, Jesus died and was raised again from the dead on that first um, Easter Sunday, and that is a historic fact, whether you like it or not. And based on that, that Jesus prophesied that he would rise from the dead. Um, he was he was correct in that. His prophecy was correct. And so you can take him at his word that everything else that he says is also true. And he says that these demonic things are true. These, uh, the, uh, the, as we said, the accounts in the Gospels about um, uh, the expulsion and casting out of demons, this is all true. And uh, there are... Um, so, but that's that's your your starting point. If 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 you if you uh, re- reject that, well, then um, then I'm sorry. That's that's where you have to start. And but again, if if you look at this anecdotal evidence, um, there just there too too many of these things um, are 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 just similar. These haunted houses, they, they, it's all it's very much the same thing. It's all floating orbs. It's things flying off shelves. I've seen this myself. Um, uh, it, it, is, um, it, is, it is more, it would take more faith to believe that these things are all accidents or all coincidences than to believe the maybe the uncomfortable fact that this stuff is real and that the demonic is real. Um, but again, that Jesus Christ is immensely, immensely more powerful but uh, but so much is going on around us that um, that we are not able to see, and, uh, and we need to stop being so haughty and arrogant, and to think that we can explain everything by measuring and touching and feeling and and computing things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm I, w- I want to poke at that one more time before we before we finish up here because I'm I'm curious what you would say to this. Um, You've you, you've come back to this refrain uh, two or three times now of Jesus is infinitely more powerful than demons, which you know obviously I agree with that. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like it's it's not that rare to hear about like an exorcism that has failed, <laughs> you know, or some maybe someone who's been exorcised multiple times and they're still showing the same. Um, and if they're exorcised in Jesus' name <laughs> and the exorcism fails, what what do you attribute that to? That I, I think that is relatively easy to explain, because some people are infested by many demons. Legion. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, a number of years ago, I was uh, had a discussion with a, with a Roman Catholic exorcist, and he told me the story how in in a certain uh, part of the state, um, there was a there was a a pastor. I think he was a Pentecostal pastor who wanted to impress his congregation with the fact that he had uh, the power over demons. And he was messing with this stuff and experimenting with this stuff. And um, com- combi- com- you, you know where this is going, Luke. And com- com- combining, combining it with, with, um, with, with pagan practices and, the, and the, the crystals and all of that. And it, it took, um, it, it exploded to such an extent that he lost control over the whole church. Things were just going haywire all over the place. And they, they had to call the Roman Catholic um, exorcist, mind you, the guy's Pentecostal. So he was not able to deal with it within his own denomination. But they had to call the Roman Catholic guy in. And the, he, he analyzed it and he said, this 
place is so infested, it will take years and years and years of exorcisms before we get all these demons out. Wow. So he had, he had created a, uh, uh, a huge Pandora's box for himself and attracted so many. And that my, I guess what I'm saying is an exorcism does not necessarily remove all the demons at, at one time. It is, it is sort of like peeling an onion. You know, so if, so if there are a thousand demons in the place or in the person, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the exorcism will take care of five, but it still means you have to come 200 times, right? Now, Jesus obviously is different. Jesus is, he is the, the, the core. He is the epicenter of everything. So Jesus, of course, can cast out the thousands of demons from that poor individual in one fell swoop. But um, even though we use the word, it, it would seem that, that humans do not have, cannot summon that much, uh, I, I don't know, um, power or energy or something to do everything at once that Jesus can do. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I buy that. Um, all right. Well, um, let me ask you this. Aside from your new beliefs themselves, uh, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind on demons? It has made me a stronger Christian because it has opened up areas in Scripture, the attic, that I had not paid attention to. It has it has connected the uh, it has emphasized the overarching theme that the Old Testament and the New Testament are saying the same thing, namely in the Old Testament, Yahweh is Jesus, and in the New Testament. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's it's the same message. It's the same theme. And by seeing um, and by experiencing the, the immense power in Jesus to control these things and to vanquish them, um, it, it emphasizes to me the absolute importance of baptism, especially as a, as a Lutheran, infant baptism, as we practiced uh, throughout Christianity, and the importance of clinging to Christ your whole life long, because He is the only uh, the only one who will keep these uh, these forces at bay. Why? Because He He defeated them um, on the cross and uh, in the empty tomb by defeating the the greatest weapon that Satan throws at us, namely death. So everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, through through this through this faith, Jesus has overcome your death as well, and we need to to cling to Him as uh, as as Katie Luther uh, once said, "I cling to Christ like a burr on a coat." We are burrs on a on a coat, and we we cling to Him with um, in the Holy Spirit, and uh, with with Christ, we are safe, and uh, Christ is our. Um, just have to throw in a Lutheran plug here. Christ is our mighty fortress. He is our, our mighty fortress. And uh, why would anyone want to leave that fortress or or experiment or flirt with anything else and, and uh, bring themselves into danger? That's a good word. Um, let me poke at that just a little bit because I'm curious about something. Um, early, early, on, early on, you said... Um, you know, the, the purpose of possession, oppression, et cetera, is to try to make people doubt their faith, try to drive people away from their faith. You, now that we've come to the end, <laughs> you, you, you tell me that uh, your experiences with 
demons have um, strengthened your faith. Um, so how, how, do, how do you reconcile those two? Are demons just uh, big pathetic failures or? <laughs> no, I, I think it, it fits in well. Okay. Because it, it uh, shows that there is, um, again, Ephesians six twelve. Uh, we, we fight against this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this, there is, there is a, a battle going on all around us. Again, the, the outcome is, is clear. Jesus has won. But nonetheless, um, the, the battle is still going on over the, the followers of Jesus. And so to realize that this spiritual battle is, is real is so important for the individual because it, it shows us that you, you cannot say, well, I'm staying out of this or I'll, I'll remain neutral. No, there is no neutrality. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. And so to, to know that, that these things um, exist uh, it, it is a, an example or, or evidence, I should say, that what scripture says is real. This is, this is a, a cosmic battle. And we are we are um, bit players in it, but we are certainly not actors in it. We are we are maybe maybe a better way to say it. We are we are bystanders. But um, just like uh, just like if you stand too close to the to the racetrack, uh, that that car might lose control and crash into you. The the battle is going on, and and Jesus has won it. But you, but don't think that you can you can remove yourself from this thing because this is this is going on all around us and I'm very grateful that, that God has has um, protected us from seeing these things because if we could see them I think we'd be we'd be scared out of our minds so it is a, it is a great uh, mercy of His that He has um, hidden um, almost all of this activity from us and I say almost because the little bit that we do see and so we come full circle is your your haunted houses and and this kind of stuff that we occasionally encounter <laughs> all right well i try to close the show um with these three ontological epistemological questions you've already answered them once because you were on the show before but um for consistency's sake uh, i'm going to ask them again and you can answer them the same or you can answer them differently it's entirely up to you <laughs> Um, so first, um, Chris, what would you say, what is identity? Does everybody have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you well, think? Of course there is an identity. Um, I would, I would summarize it that there are essentially only two kinds of people. They are believers in Jesus Christ or not believers in Jesus Christ. And so as, as we look at that, um, as a believer in Jesus Christ personally, uh, the, the words of Martin Luther in the small catechism uh, comes to mind or come to mind uh, where he says, as I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm part of the church. And Luther says, in this Christian church, Jesus Christ daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. So our identity is in Christ, regardless of our uh, skin color or ethnic heritage or any of that. So that is that is identity. It's it's basically it's it's binary. It's it's one or zero. What about uh, what about human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Well, we're all we're all made in the image of God, as as we know from Genesis. But uh, since the fall uh, from grace in in Genesis three, um, that image has been severely severely damaged. And so with with this in mind, uh, the only 
the only um, conclusion we can reach is that uh, by nature we are lost and condemned creatures. So, but if we believe in Jesus Christ and the capability to believe, that is a gift in itself as we receive the Holy Spirit, um, that is th that we become um, creatures of, of, or I should say children of God, and that the, the image which was uh, destroyed uh, in the fall from grace, uh, the, that, that cracked mirror, if you so will, that is, that is not fixed. However, as, as the Father, God the Father, looks at us, he does not see our, our cracked, our broken human nature. Um, he sees us as, as beautiful and as perfect and as righteous as his own son. All right. And finally, what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know when you found truth? I'd have to quote Jesus directly. Um, John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. So the only the only truth we have is in in Christ. Uh, truth with a capital T. Pontius Pilate, of course, uh, famously said, "What is truth?" Maybe with a sneer. Um, but if if you if you want to know truth with a capital T, that truth is found in Jesus Christ alone. And any other truths with a lowercase T, they come and go. But only Jesus. The truth with a capital T is is permanent. I've always kind of identified with Pilate in that moment. <laughs> well, like when you're surrounded by people who don't actually care about the truth, why does truth even matter? Well, it is it is very very popular in this uh, in this postmodern age when absolute truth is is um, denied. He's he's quite modern. Postmodern. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on the show once again. Um, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug? Yes, thank you. Um, I'd like to to uh, to mention our church website, uh, trinityokmulgee.org. That's one word, Trinity, and let me spell Okmulgee for you, O-K-M-U-L-G-E-E, trinityokmulgee.org. And it's probably easier to go to Facebook. You can find us there without the Okmulgee part. Just go to Trinity Lutheran Church, and uh, you'll find it on Facebook. But yeah, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or go to my website, LukeTHarrington.com. Chris asked me to correct one thing he said, which was that... Um, if you look for his church's page on Facebook, it actually is Trinity Lutheran Olkmulgi. Um, so just FYI, like half the Lutheran churches in America are named Trinity Lutheran. So uh, if you are looking for it, that's what it is. Um, I was really glad to have Chris on the show. He's, you know, in many ways, kind of the poster child uh, for this program um, because his uh, change of mind was not only a thorough one, it was one that directly fed into his life in every conceivable way. Um, it wasn't just an intellectual exercise for him. Uh, it was, he is someone who lives what he believes. Um, so I really appreciate about that about him. Um, and you know, I don't know if you're a believer or non-believer. Um, but I, would encourage you to um, consider that 
the vast majority of human cultures throughout history have believed in some sort of supernatural being that's beyond human control or comprehension. Um, and I don't know, it, it seems, seems arrogant to think, you know, something they don't, <laughs> um, I, you know, I've talked about this in my monologues on this show before, so I, I really don't want to belabor the point here. Um, not least of all, because I'm coming up against a deadline and I'd like to get this episode out on time. Um, but, uh, if you assume the existence of a supernatural being, one beyond human control, then that being would by definition be outside the scope of scientific inquiry. Um, like if you cannot control it and test it repeatedly, then you can't do science on it. Um, and so when you say science hasn't found this, well, you know, I mean, there's, it's possible that science hasn't found it because it doesn't exist. It's also possible that science hasn't found it because it's beyond the scope of science by definition. Um, now that doesn't mean that demons definitely exist. Um, but it does mean that scientific inquiry is not sufficient to prove that they don't exist. Just leave it there. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope that you learned something. I hope that it spooked you a little bit. Um, happy Halloween. Uh, stay safe, I guess. Don't like, don't like go knocking on your neighbor's doors, especially if you're not wearing a mask by which I mean like, a a COVID-19 face mask, not like a Halloween mask. I mean, I guess a Halloween mask would probably do a similar job. I don't know. I wonder if anyone's done any research on that. Definitely not a Batman mask, um, because that would not cover your mouth and nose. Um, and let's be honest, Batman is kind of an overrated character anyway. So like, why would you even want to be Batman? I, you know, I'm just saying, um, I'm just going to wrap it up there. Um, cause I don't, I don't feel like lecturing you guys a bunch this week. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. If you like the show, if you like what I'm doing, um, please take a second to rate slash review me on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Um, I'm happy to report that we are back up to a solid 5.0 like 5.0 stars on iTunes. Um, it dipped a little bit a while ago because someone gave me a two-star review. <sighs> but enough people have uh, come in and, and hit that five-star button that we're back up to a 5.0 average, which seems mathematically impossible, but I assume it's because of rounding. Um, <laughs> so anyway, if you have done it, thank you. If you haven't, please do. Um, if you want to support me financially, I do have a Ko-Fi up, uh, that's KO-FI slash change my mind. Uh, you can give me any amount of money as long as it's divisible by $3. Um, why $3? I don't know. It's just a thing they do. Um, if you want to give me $5, I'm sorry. You have to give me either three or six. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, if you don't want to just throw money at me, which I don't know why you wouldn't want to throw money at me because like, sounds fun. Um, but if you don't, 
you can buy my book. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but here's the pitch again. It's called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed, um, which I've been told is a great title. Uh, we definitely worked hard uh, coming up with that title. So if, if people like it, I'm glad, um, you can find that wherever fine books are sold. You can also find it wherever mediocre books are sold. Um, you can't find it where terrible books are sold. I'm not going to say it's terrible. I think it's a pretty good book. Um, you can also find it at murderbearsbook.com, which is a great little website. My publisher set up. Uh, if you go there, you can read a, couple of sample chapters. You can listen to a sample chapter from the audiobook, and you can even take a fun Bible quiz, test your knowledge about the strangest parts of the Bible. It is a fun quiz. I've heard it's very hard. Uh, I aced it, but I also wrote the book. So, you know, um, I'm probably cheating that way. Um, anyway, the internet loves quizzes. Go take my quiz. It's at murderbearsbook.com. Um, anyway, Let's wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Those guys are great. Uh, check out The Commentarians and Faith and Other Oddities. Those are their other two podcasts. I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. Um, he is a fine, upstanding human being and also manages a GameStop, which, you know, I, I mean... Someone's got to manage the GameStops of the world. So thank you, Jonathan Clausen. Uh, I want to thank... Dr. Chris Teves for coming on the show. Um, Chris is great. I love that guy. I'm glad he was able to come on again. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. And don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm-hmm.